open your Bible this morning, please, to Luke 12. We started there last week, the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. And uh, I, I told you that we would continue the passage I read last week, uh, Luke 12, starting in verse 4, all the way through 34. And we got down through verse 21, and I wanted to continue with part 2 uh, this week. The title of the message is, The Christian's Response to Uncertainty. Part 2. And I just want to read the whole passage to you so that you can see uh, what Jesus is teaching his disciples, what we need to know anytime, anytime in this life, but especially I think now when people tend to worry, when people tend to react in an ungodly way. So starting in verse 4, Luke chapter 12, I say to you, my friends, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You men of little faith. And do not seek what you will eat. And what you will drink and do not keep worrying for all these things. The nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's go before the Lord again. Lord, we ask your help this morning. Help us to believe 
this passage, to, to trust that your word is true, to know that it is authoritative. Let it counsel us. Let it advise us. Let it correct us. Help us to not worry, O Lord. Let us trust in you. Let us do what's right, what is godly, what is God-honoring with our possessions. Help us, Lord, to know and trust and love you. In Christ's name, amen. We're a society consumed with anxiety, with, with worry. We, we are always worrying as a modern society in America. And even before our more recent uh, coronavirus epidemic, pandemic, there was worry. There's always this worry about tomorrow. Today, of course, people are worried that they might get sick, that their family members might get sick. Uh, that's quickly turning into many people also a worry about the future when it comes to their finances, when it comes to their income, their jobs. Three million people lost their jobs just in one week. The biggest record ever in American history. There's a lot of worry right now. Where will my support come from? Where will this money that I need to feed my family, how about to pay the rent? How about to put clothes on my back? In the last recession, uh, the one that happened about 10 years ago, they did a study after that, and they uh, studied Americans that had been stressed out, depressed, anxiety-ridden. And they just did a general survey. Here's what they found. That people said the economic turmoil caused by the Great Recession struck at the heart of the American dream. One reporter said that it rattled some to their core. Earning and sustaining a living is getting harder for people, especially for men, after that recession 10 years ago. We're a society of worry. We, we constantly worry. We have anxiety. We have a whole industry designed around treating anxiety and worry. John MacArthur said it's amazing and an ironic truth that while ours is perhaps the most affluent, indulged, and comfortable society ever, it is also the most stressed out, the most worried, and the most anxiety-ridden one. No worry goes unnamed. No worry goes undefined, he says. No worry goes uncatalogued, undiagnosed, or unmediated. We love to worry. You could almost say it's our favorite pastime in the modern affluent world. We have more than anybody's ever had in history, and yet we worry more, it seems like, than others have in history. Well, our text this morning, that that last section that I read to you uh, from Luke 12, verses 22 through 34, address this very thing. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's telling them not to worry, and he's giving them reasons why. God is so good, he doesn't just command us to do things, but he tells us why. He tells us why it's good for us. We looked, first of all, uh, last week at verses 4 through 7, where Jesus taught his disciples to fear God alone. We should fear God, not just fear for our physical lives now, but fear God, love God, have a reverence towards God, worship our God, because he's the one that will judge. He's the one who will cast into hell. And if we're fearing God alone, we're not fearing man, we're not fearing the things of this world, the natural disasters and viruses of this world, then we will be with God and Christ for eternity. Fear God alone. And then secondly, last week, we looked at trust in God alone. Verses 13 through 21, Jesus is saying that we should trust in God, not our possessions, not what we own, not what we can go buy, not what we can hoard up, not what we can put in our bunker to outlast whatever's going on in the world. No, we're to trust in God, not our possessions, not our wealth. And then this week, the third major point of this passage I read to you is to seek the kingdom of God alone. That's the point of this passage. Now, he doesn't start off that way. Jesus will get there. He'll get there further down, but it's seek the kingdom of God alone. We've got to fear God alone. We've got to trust in God alone. And we've got to seek the kingdom of God alone. Well, let's have a look at this passage and go verse by verse. We want to exposit the passage. I want to show you the meaning. And I want to show you some applications. And hopefully you will take these applications and meaning and apply them to your life. 
The overall point here again is that Jesus wants his followers to know that as children of the kingdom of our Father in heaven, we should not be anxious. We must not be anxious for anything. We we have to trust fully in him and God will take care of us. If we're his, God will take care of us. He starts off in verse 22. Uh, Luke reminds us of who he's talking to. This is important. Who is he addressing? Is he addressing everyone in the world? Unbelievers and believers? No, he's addressing here his disciples. This is a message for his disciples. A a message for those who follow him. He's seeking to comfort them. Because when Christ leaves them, they're going to be more anxious, more worried. And he's comforting them. He's telling them, Uh, as he already has, that he's about to go and he's about to die. And he's about to leave this world and ascend to the Father. And they should not worry. So he says to his disciples, for this reason. When you see that phrase, for this reason, you need to figure out what the reason is he's talking about here. And he's saying the, the reason that the rich man lost his life. For the reason that the rich man put his his trust into his wealth and his possessions for this reason. He says, I say to you, do the opposite. Don't worry about your life. The rich man who built bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns was worried about the future. So he kept trying to save up enough that would last him the rest of his life. But Jesus says, don't worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. He's simply stating, don't worry. It's a straightforward command. We often think, well, there's got to be some nuances. I mean, certainly he wants us to worry about some things. No, he says, don't worry about your life. That's that's everything. If you're a Christian, don't ever have anxiety about what will happen in this world. Now, we are. We are going to have anxiety. We're not perfect. We will stumble in this way. But he's saying don't. There's no use for it. The word that he uses here for worry, it means to have an anxious concern. It means to to have a concern based on an apprehension about possible danger. It doesn't even have to be real danger, just something possible or some possible misfortune to be unduly concerned. Now we translate this Greek word as worry and that in English even has an interesting history, this word worry. It's an old English word For strangle, to strangle something is to worry in Old English. In Middle English, it gives rise to the meaning seize by the throat and tear. And then, of course, in Modern English, it has this idea of of sort of gnawing inside of us that bothers us. This, This desire to worry about tomorrow. We often use the phrase like a dog worrying over or gnawing on a bone. That's a good description of what happens in our hearts when we worry. It summarizes well what worry does to us. It just gnaws at us and eats at us and keeps us from focusing on today and the Lord because we're worried about tomorrow, what might happen. Most of the time what we are worried about might happen doesn't even happen. And yet we still worry. And he says, do not worry. Uh, Do not be anxious. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's in the present tense as well. This is an ongoing command. Do not worry. Continuously throughout your life, don't worry. Stop, he says. Stop doing it now and don't do it in the future. Now he gives reasons for that. He gives reasons. He reminds us why we shouldn't worry. And I'm going to give you the four reasons that he gives. There's four reasons that Christians should not be anxious. That Christians should not worry about their life. First of all, In 23 and 24, he says, if we worry, if we're anxious, it it reprioritizes, it refocuses our life. Being anxious reprioritizes our life. It takes our focus off God. It, It takes our focus away from where it should be. He says, for life is more than food. For the for the word here, life, it literally means soul. In Greek, in Greek, it's suke, it's soul. Your soul is more important than the food which keeps you alive. Think about it. Your soul's created for eternal life. The food we eat now, Jesus says, will, will pass in and pass out. But 
but your soul will live forever. You need to focus on God because your soul is more important than food. And even the body, even the body, we don't think that, that the body is unimportant. No, the body and the soul both go together. That's who we are. And the body's designed in the resurrection. It will be designed to live forever. And he says your physical body is more important than clothing. It's more important than the clothes you put on. It's about your body that God has given you. And he's given you your body to do certain things for him. He's given your body to worship him with. He's given your body to serve him with. He's given your body so that when you get a new one in the resurrection, it will be perfect and you'll be able to live with him forever and ever without any sin. So, so the soul and body are more important than food and clothing. Now, they're God's own possession. And then he'll take care of us. We'll be taken care of for eternity if you're saved in Christ. There's nothing to worry about. Is God going to, to let you starve and then somehow you'll lose your salvation? Is God going to let you have no clothing and somehow you'll lose your salvation? No. Eternal life is more important than those things. He'll take care of us eternally, certainly, He'll take care of us in this life as well. So stop worrying about tomorrow's needs because you have a life God has given you to live for him today. If you're always worrying about food, about clothes, about what you drive, about where you live, even about where you'll work, who you'll marry, where you'll go to school, how much will you have for retirement? Well, then you're not focusing on God. You're not using the soul and the body that you have been given, who you are, to worship him, to serve him. So he gives us an illustration to back this up. He says in verse 24, Consider, reflect on the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Now look at these little animals. A little animal, and the example here is a raven, a bird. What's called in Leviticus an abhorrent bird and is not to be eaten. An unclean animal. And yet, God protects them. We have American ravens here. We have crows in the U.S. We have these things we call buzzards here in Texas, which are really turkey vultures. And turkey vultures are disgusting. They're eating nasty, rotten, dead deer on the side of the road. They smell. They go around in the air whenever there's a dead thing on the ground. And they're disgusting. And yet, God feeds them. God provides for them. He cares for them. They don't even work for it. They don't go out and even kill the animal. They're scavengers. They just eat off of what's already dead. God provides for them. They don't have to worry about anything. And they don't even think about anything. God provides and makes food for them. How much more valuable, Jesus says, are you than the birds? The most unclean bird in the Old Testament. And how much more important are you, all of us, especially those in Christ? He's saying to his disciples, look, the Father is looking at you and he thinks you're valuable. Not because you're holy, not because you're perfect, but because you're his children. Because you've been adopted. You wouldn't let your own children starve. And so God certainly wouldn't do that either. Christian, you're, you're so much more valuable to God than the birds of the air. Even nasty scavenger birds, he has a special love for his people that exceeds turkey vultures, ravens, crows. And yet, those birds still have to go out. They still have to find the dead animals. They still have to find the food. So Jesus is not saying here, just sit at home, wait for that check to come in. Even though... There's talk of checks coming into our, our accounts from the stimulus package. That's not enough for most people to even pay the bills for a month. This is not a passage where we're to be lazy. We still have to go out and work. We still have to take care of what God has given us. He's not saying, I'll just sit at home and God will bless me. If I just have enough faith, God will bless me. I'll get some checks in the mail the rest of my life. I'll get a great windfall. I'll even be rich. That's what this passage teaches. That's not what he has in mind here. He, he's talking in the context of worry. And the Bible is clear. If you don't work, you don't eat. So someone in your family needs to be working. Or if you're, if you're older and are no longer working, you have worked your whole life to save for that. Or maybe your children are taking care of you. If you don't work, you don't eat. But, but if you trust in God and you're working hard for his glory, he'll take care of you, it says. 
You may not be wealthy, but he'll take care of your basic needs. There may be times when you're temporarily without resources. There may be times when you struggle. That's God's way of, of teaching us. That's God's way of sometimes disciplining us, making us more sanctified. But the point here is that even though these little birds are almost insignificant, nasty birds, they are taken care of. So certainly God will take care of us. So make sure your priorities in your life are correct. Make sure they're focused on God. And make sure you're not spending all of your time worrying and saving up and and working for your own self and for your own future and not focused on God. Your soul, your body is more important than those things. You weren't created just to go day by day worrying about tomorrow. You're created for God. You're created to serve Him. The second reason here that Jesus gives us to not worry, to not be anxious, is being anxious accomplishes nothing. Verses 25 and 26. Number two, being anxious accomplishes nothing. When we worry, it does nothing for you. It does not help you one bit to worry. It doesn't. It's pointless. Focus your life on today. What what you can do today for Christ. In fact, in, in Matthew, Jesus says, Do not worry. Matthew 6, 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. That's a pretty bold statement. Tomorrow will care for itself. Yeah. In other words, God's providence will make sure that you're taken care of. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus says. You've got enough to think about today. You've got enough to concern yourself with today. Your work, your ministry, your involvement in the church, your, your desire to take care of others, to serve others in your local body, your family, your spouse, your house, the things that God has given you to glorify Him, you have enough. So tomorrow, there's no use to worry about tomorrow. Verse 25, and he gives another example here. It accomplishes nothing to worry. He's saying, which of you, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? Now some translations and yours might say, uh, add a cubit to your height. But I think it's better to see this measurement and this idiom here, this uh, phrase in Greek to mean adding an hour, a single hour to your lifespan. Because that's what people are concerned about. People aren't really concerned about being taller, at least adults. Most aren't concerned about being taller. So it it doesn't really make sense to translate it like that. It's more of the idea of adding a cubit to your life. Since a cubit's a measure of height, that's why others are saying that it's probably height here. But It's a cubit to your life, to how long you live. That's what so much of our society today is focused on. Not being healthy to use their body to glorify God, but trying to extend their life by every means possible. Many unbelievers are trying to put their money into science. They think that will preserve them so they can live over 100 years or or try to be reanimated at some point after they've died. Well, Jesus says here, You can't add a single hour to your lifespan. Don't be anxious for anything. It's not going to help you. Now certainly the things we do in life can make us more healthy. Even if the the time is set, of course God uses the means that he gives us and that he's providentially set up to accomplish what he's already planned. So he knows exactly the day that you will die. He knows exactly the day that all of us will die. And we can't expand that. We can't extend that by one measurement. Now, we don't know it. Thank the Lord we don't. And he'll give us all exactly the time that he desires to give us. He's already planned it. But verse 26, If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Jesus says that's a little thing, adding an hour to your life. God can do that if he wanted to. That's a very little thing. You can't even do that. What do you think you're going to accomplish by worrying about tomorrow? Worrying about next month? Worrying about next year? Maybe there is going to be a a recession, a depression. Maybe times will be hard. Jesus says, what do you think worrying about it's going to do? Adding an hour to your life is such a little thing, especially compared to the power of God. He gives eternal life, God does. He has that much power. He can give eternal life. But we can't add one second to our life. By worrying, by anything, 
God's already decided. God already knows. So if you can't add an hour to your life, why continue to think that worrying is going to add food, to add clothing, to add money to your bank account, to protect you, to give you a better house? Not only does worry accomplish nothing, but it takes away. It takes away from our life. We lose something, not only time, but we lose our health by worrying. Chronic worrying, emotional stress, it triggers a a host of problems in your body. God has set our bodies up a certain way. And and when we worry, we have these hormones released in our bodies, cortisol, adrenaline. And that causes more problems in our body. Uh, It causes toxicity in cells and the brain and the immune system. And, and And they've studied this. People who worry a lot, they can measure these hormones and they can see all these health problems that they suffer from. They have difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate. Why? Because we're always thinking about and worrying about what comes next. Irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling, and twitching. It adds nothing to your life. It actually takes away from your life, in a sense, from the quality of your life, by worrying. It keeps us from having the ability that God has called us to do because we're focused somewhere else and we can't add anything to our life. We're actually taken away from it. Corey Ten Boom, who spent a lot of time in isolation, a lot more than we ever will during the, uh, the Holocaust, she said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So you can worry all you want, but it's not going to empty tomorrow of its sorrow. She says it's just emptying today of its strength. The third reason Jesus says not to worry, verses 27 and 28. He says it shows a lack of faith. It shows a lack of faith to worry. It's actually more than just an annoyance. It's more than just something that will affect your health. It's it's more than just being fruitless. It shows that we don't love God enough that we don't consider the goodness of God enough, that we don't consider the power of God enough. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon, the the richest person in ancient times, so wealthy, he had all this gold, all these jewels, All these people coming to him. All these buildings. A huge house that he lived in. Other kings and queens would come to get wisdom from him. Find out how is this man so blessed? How is this man so wealthy? Well, even these little flowers. Little flowers that we see blooming right now. Easter lilies and all these wonderful flowers are better clothed than Solomon in all his glory. In other words, Solomon had it all and could buy whatever he wanted. And God makes these little flowers look better than he did. Why do we worry? It's just a lack of faith. Verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace in Israel. It's mostly rocky, rough hillside. They didn't have a lot of wood, but they would use grass to burn and and cook food. If you wanted to heat an oven and bake some bread, you would take the grass and light it. The dry grass would burn rather quickly. So one day, the grass is growing, the flowers are blooming, and the next day, people gather that up and throw it into the furnace. It's that beautiful. And even though God knows it's going to be burned up the next day, He makes the flowers that beautiful. How much more, it says, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? Men of little faith. If God will clothe the flowers like this, and that's better than even Solomon had, you have little faith if you worry. Now, most Christians don't consider worrying and anxiety a sin. But to have a lack of faith is a sin because you're not trusting in the God of Scripture. You're actually disagreeing with Scripture, practically speaking. You might read throughout the Bible, know that God is good, know that God will take care of you. You might even think, well, he's sovereign. He will, he will see to it that I'm taken care of. But by worrying, you're actually showing a lack of faith. And so Jesus says, men of little faith. 
That's unbelief. It's unbelief to worry. That's really what panic is, if you think about it. You know, a few weeks ago, if you went to the grocery store, and you were just there on a normal day, you didn't know anything was going on, and all of a sudden, everybody's rushing to the toilet paper aisle and pulling those things off the shelf and stacking it up in their carts, and you're just watching that, you're probably going to wonder what's going on. But even if you don't know what's going on, you're going to think to yourself, maybe I should get some of that before it's all gone. And maybe I should check the news. Oh, wow, look at my device. Something's going on in the world. I need to get more. I'm going to panic like they are. I'm going to follow the herd. I'm going to follow the masses. I'm going to grab all the meat, grab all the milk, grab all these things and store up. That's unbelief. Of course, it's wise to have a little bit to last you. You don't want to run out of food today if you can help it. But if you're worrying about what you will eat next week, next month, next year, it's unbelief. It's saying, I don't trust God enough to take care of me like the Bible says. So I'm going to go ahead and take care of myself. It's practical atheism in a sense. It's, it's just saying, I'm going to forget about God. Of course, every time you sin is, is a type of practical atheism. You're just setting God aside. Put him out of my mind so I can sin. That's why John Calvin said that unbelief is the mother of every anxiety. Every anxiety is, is birth from unbelief that God would take care of you. It's a lack of trust. And so that quote, I think, is, is good for us to remember. Unbelief is the mother of every anxiety. By, by worrying over what will happen in the future, it just denies that God will do what he's promised. God's promised to take care of us. And if we don't believe that, if we act in a way that goes against that, then we're denying God's wisdom, his goodness, his sovereignty. Now, this is not easy for us. We've been so used to the way the world works. Worry, worry, worry. But that's exactly what Christ calls us to do. Not to worry. It's quite the irony when we say, oh yeah, we love God's sovereignty here. We believe in God's sovereignty and salvation. We believe in God's sovereignty in the world. And yet we turn around and worry about every little thing. That's contradictory. We should not worry. That's why David wrote, In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He doesn't mean he shall not desire something. He's saying want, the old English idea of having a lack of something. I shall not lack anything, he says. If God's our father, if he's watching over us, if he's our great shepherd, can we lack anything that we need? Won't the great shepherd take care of us? Believer, God promises throughout all the Bible, he promises to meet all your needs. He promises to meet all your needs. He does not promise, though, to meet all your desires. So sometimes we mix those. We think, I desire to have this thing and God's not giving it to me, so therefore he's not meeting my needs. No, God promises to meet your needs, not all of your desires. That's desires beyond our needs. Reason number four, the fourth reason Jesus says, don't be anxious because being anxious is what the pagans do. It's how the world operates. Verses 29 through 30. Do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't don't seek after it. The word here means to devote serious effort to realize one's desire or objective, to strive for. This is not, you know, don't don't wonder what you're going to have for lunch. He's not saying that. He's saying don't, don't have this desire that you're so focused on what you will eat and what you will drink. This consuming desire of future protection of possessions, of wealth, of security. And do not keep worrying, he says. Now again, he's reminding him again, do not keep worrying. But here he uses a slightly different term. In our English Bibles, it's just worry again, but it's a different term in Greek. It means to be elevated or lifted up. And it was a a term used by Uh, ships in ancient times that were carried away on the high seas and being tossed to and fro, back and forth, off course. So by using this word, he's, he's saying, stop shifting back and forth like a ship on the sea, going up and down the waves. Stop doing that. Stop worrying. Don't keep being thrown around by the things in the world. It's almost as if you're going back and forth between faith and doubt. One day I trust God, the next day I don't. And you're being thrown around like a ship at sea. Verse 30. Why? Why why not keep worrying? He says, for all 
these things. The nations of the world eagerly seek. The word eagerly means they have a very strong desire for these things. It goes along with the word for seek that he's already used in verse 29. They eagerly desire these things. But your father knows that you need these things. He already knows we need them. Don't be like the nations. If you want to be like the world, if you want to be worldly, if you want to be like the pagans, then worry. But if you want to be like Christ, don't worry. Trust in God. Know that God will take care of you. The nations, the pagans, go after selfish desires. They eagerly seek to have more, more, more. And they don't have trust at all in God. Believers, your father knows you need these things, Jesus says. He knows. He knows exactly what you need. He created you. He created the world. He created the birds and the flowers and the food that we need and the clothes that we need. He knows what you need. So stop having this anxious worry from day to day. Well, he doesn't leave us there with the reasons. He does give us those four reasons, but he also now will come back and give us two things we should do to combat fear. It's not as if you just say to yourself, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry. If you do that a hundred times a day, you'll be fine. No, he says, do these things instead. So put off, the Bible teaches us, put off in Colossians and Ephesians, put off the sin and put on the righteous thing. Put on righteousness, put on Christ. Well, here's what Christ tells us to put on. We put off the worry. And first of all, we put on, instead of worry, a desire for the kingdom of God. He says, seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God gives. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That's an amazing statement. Seek his kingdom. You must totally focus on the kingdom of God. Your money should be focused on God's kingdom. Your possessions should be focused on God's kingdom. The family you gave you, uh, that he gave you should be focused on God's kingdom. His is the only kingdom. It's the only one that matters to us. Yeah, yes, we're placed in a nation today, in a state, in a community. But ultimately, it's, it's God's kingdom. The one that Christ will bring that we look forward to. There's no other kingdom on the earth that's going to take care of us forever, much less in this life. It's hard for them to even take care of their people. Our country, and I love our country, is not going to last forever. It's not in the book of Revelations in chapter 21 and 22. Why do you worry so much over every detail on the news about our country, about the world? There's nothing wrong with keeping up with various things going on in the world. But a lot of us watch too much news. We, we visit too many websites. You know, the, the news must be making a lot of money right now because they, they probably have times 100 uh, visitors on their websites and watching their shows. Well, I think we watch too much news. In ancient times, you received news very slowly. If there was an epidemic in another country, you might not even know about it for months. Now we receive news instantly. Instantly. And, and sometimes the news is wrong. And sometimes the news is designed to make us worry and tune back into that news later in the day or the next hour and every day after that. Some of you watch too much news. Your kingdom, your personal kingdom is not going to last forever. Not only will our country not last forever, your personal kingdom that you've built, your things, your possessions will not last forever. You have what, maybe 80 years? We have 80 years, 90 for some of us. Then what? It's going to all go away, just like the man who saved it up in the barns. Maybe, maybe our children will inherit it, but it will do us no good. So you're going to spend all of your life building up things, building up possessions for yourself, and then you're going to die and it's all going to go to somebody else. Focus on the kingdom. God will take care of you. Give, give serious effort. Devote your life to seek the kingdom of God. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you've got to make sure that you even are going to be in the kingdom. If you're watching this today and you say, that sounds good, Pastor, I like it. Are you even going to be in the kingdom? Are you going to be there? Because this passage only applies to those who are in Christ, those who have been saved. 
Have you been saved? Do you, do you trust in Christ as your Savior alone? Have you set all your works aside? Have you turned from your sin? Not did you go to church as a, as a child? Did you get baptized? Do you still attend church? No, his disciples. Who are his disciples? Those who follow him. Those who love him. Those who want to do what Christ says. Those who look at this passage and say, it's tough, Lord, not to worry, but I, I want to follow you. I want to seek the kingdom. Pretenders don't get into the kingdom. Those who pretend to be Christians don't get into the kingdom. So you have to make sure, first of all, that you're even going to be there. If you don't know, then pray to God. Ask him. If you say to yourself, no, I'm not going to be there. Well, then why wouldn't you turn your life to Christ? It's either the kingdom or eternal punishment. There's no middle place. There's no neutral place. There's no purgatory. There's just the kingdom of God forever and ever or eternal punishment forever and ever. So turn your life to Christ. If you are looking forward to the kingdom, if you are in Christ, if you are saved, then I would say to you, love God's kingdom. Set your life on the priorities that get you into God's kingdom. Not that we can do things to get there. We can only get there by Christ. But Paul gives us a list of all these sins and he says, people who live this way will not inherit the kingdom. So we need to be holy. Not to earn ourselves a pathway to the kingdom, but to show good fruit. To to show that we are Christians. Love God's kingdom. Set your life, your priorities, your goals around the fact that Christ is coming back. That Christ will reign upon the earth. Pray, pray for his complete rule to come upon the earth where every knee shall bow. Believer and unbeliever, every knee will honor him as Lord. Work now, now to increase the number of citizens who will be in the kingdom. Evangelism, evangelism. Now, we can't be around a lot of people right now. There's certain rules and regulations that we want to honor. But there are ways that you can seek out to evangelize. There are letters that probably need to be written that you've been waiting for a time like this. There are, there are emails, there are phone calls you need to make. There are Bibles you need to pass along to somebody. There are good books that you need to buy and pass along. Work to increase the number of kingdom citizens so that the whole of God's people may come in. Be part of that process. Yes, God has his elect, but his means of saving that elect means that we have to proclaim the gospel. We have to. Well, if you do these things, if you're seeking God's kingdom, Jesus says, if you aim your life at Christ and his kingdom, then you're a true follower. You're a true follower of Christ. You're a true follower of God. He's going to give you the basic necessities in life. That's exactly what the passage means. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do you believe that? Because that's what Christ said would happen. Psalm 84, 11 says, No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. They don't earn good things by walking uprightly. They, they walk uprightly because they're already regenerate. They already have a new heart. And when they walk uprightly, God gives them those good things that he's planned for them. You see, you, you can't seek both the kingdom and your own self and possessions at the same time. It's impossible. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Matthew 6, 24. You can't do it both. You can't worry all about your life and what you're going to have, and at the same time, put your mind totally on the kingdom of God. He says in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. Not only is it the kingdom of God that he reminds us of, but we're a little flock, a little flock of sheep. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Gladly to give us the kingdom. It wasn't as if we twisted God's arm, as if we made him or Christ somehow made him give us the kingdom. He wants to gladly give it to us. Your Father will not abandon you. Your Heavenly Father will not abandon you in time of need. He will not leave you without 
what you need to survive. Think of how good he's already been to you. Think of what he's already done for you. How many times have you thought all hope was lost and yet he provided for you? How many times have you thought, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I trust in God. And the very moment or next hour or next day, God provided an answer. He provided a way. He provided what you needed at that time. Hebrews 13.5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. God's with us. God will take care of us. So the first thing we're to do is to seek the kingdom. We're to be seeking the kingdom, but Jesus gives us something else to do. He also says, instead of worrying, be extra generous with your possessions. Extra generous. Don't just give a little bit. Give a lot. The complete opposite of worrying and storing up and hoarding and planning for years and years in the future. Be extra generous with your possessions. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out. They would wear money belts at that time, which held all their coins. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys he's not saying here give away your money to earn your salvation he's talking to his disciples those who are already saved here's how you should live you should live according to the heavenly retirement plan the one that stretches into eternity don't just store up money in your money belt in your bank account today in your retirement plan there's nothing wrong with storing up a bit in the future but if if you think that you're going to extremely wealthy, even wealthy in this life, and that's going to serve God, I think you're, you're not considering what God has given you. Even the most wealthy people in Scripture who are godly aren't sitting around thinking about being wealthy. God just blesses them as they live life glorifying to Him. And He hasn't promised that we'll even all be wealthy. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. That's a heavenly retirement plan. Give, give to others who are in need. And you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're storing up treasures in heaven. You're storing up the blessings that you'll get. There are going to be rewards in heaven. Yes, all Christians get eternal life. In Christ, we all get the eternal life that Christ promises. But there will be other rewards in heaven. Physical rewards in heaven. He tells his disciples, you will rule over many cities. And he tells parables where the king returns and says to one of his slaves, you've done well. You can rule over this amount of cities. The implication there is that there's rewards in heaven. So he's repeatedly telling his disciples, you must be willing to give up everything to follow me. And that's not easy. It's not easy to give away our things. Now, he doesn't mean here that we're to get rid of everything and then go beg tomorrow. Now you're just a burden on someone else. You're just a burden on your church. That's not what he's saying. We have to put things in context. The context is, stop worrying about tomorrow. And so instead of storing up and storing up and storing up, be giving away the wealth, the extra that God has given you. Don't be hoarding it up. Don't be storing it up. That's not easy. The world tells us completely something different. The world says you have to have $5 million to retire. You have to have $10 million to retire and leave your children with something. And there's some wisdom in in making money. There's wisdom in saving money. How much do you really need? How much are you worried about? How much are you trying to put all of your desires into that basket that says, I am concerned about myself and not at all trusting in God. It's worth it. It's worth it eternally to give our things away, to bless others, to to give to the work of God in the church, to give to the person who's in need, to help even charities outside of your local church. C.T. Studd, who, who gave up everything. This was a wealthy man in England in the last century. He gave up everything to be a missionary. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, 
then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If he died for me, then I can't, I can't make any sacrifice that will compare to that. And so he gave up all his wealth. He was going to be very wealthy. He gave it all up to go and be a missionary and die for Christ. Well, Jesus concludes this, and he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's it. That's his concluding sentence. He summarizes his teaching right here. Everything he's basically said uh, since about verse 4 is summarized. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Is your treasure based upon this earth? Or is it in heaven with God? Where is your treasure? Where are you storing up wealth? Where are you trusting in wealth? Is it the heavenly treasure that you will receive? When you're there? Or is it the treasure of this world? Is it here on earth? Or is it obvious that you're living in such a way that you're focused on God, that you're focused on Christ? In times of trials, in times of tribulations, the truth can really come out when we're tested, when, when things get crazy in the world. How we respond as Christians will show. And how, how are you responding? How are you responding? Are you trying to figure out where can I put my money to make sure I don't lose it all? Which might be a wise decision. But why are you doing that? Are you worried? Do you think God's not going to take care of you? Are you just saying, look, God has given me this money and I want to be wise. I want to make sure I don't lose it all if I don't have to. That can be a wise decision. But too many times we're worried. We're following the world. If the world is buying this item at the store, I better stock up. If the world is doing this with their money, I better do what they do. Trust in God. That's the Christian's response. We're to fear God alone. We're to trust in God alone to provide for us. And we're to seek the kingdom of God alone. And he'll take care of us. He will watch over us. And I'm really thankful that he will. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Today has plenty of trouble Let us focus and do what God has called us to do in this life. Let's bow and ask him to help us do that. God, we we love you. Here at this church, we seek to honor and praise you. We seek to glorify you with our lives. We seek to glorify you with all that we have, all that we own. Help us to be wise, to be good stewards with what you've given us. But let us do it for the right reasons. Let us do it to glorify you, to honor you. And Lord, help us to be generous. Help us to be generous with our wealth. Most of us here are are wealthy considering human history and considering the whole world right now. Help us to live for you. To be godly. To be righteous. To be holy. We pray, Lord, that we would seek your kingdom. That we would seek to see Christ reign upon the earth, to rule over the earth, that we would want to be there with him. And all the treasure we've stored up in heaven that we might rejoice someday to see. To see how amazing you are. To see how richly you've blessed us. Remind us each day not to worry, not to be anxious, but to always focus on you, to focus on Christ, to live by the power of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.